All right, well, good morning. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to follow that up with that kind of energy. Uh, <laughs> but if you will, this morning, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. Uh, if you remember last time I was able to preach, um, we went over another psalm, Psalm 34. And we are continuing our series of psalms with Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22. If you will, follow along with me in your Bibles. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. Then, you cried, then you they to you they cried, and then were rescued. In the same they trusted, and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. I open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I I can count all my bones and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over 
the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat, worm, eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity to dive into Your Word today. To look at a psalm written after a man after Your own heart. To see its dual function in expressing our lament and our sorrow and our griefs and telling of what's to come. God, as we look at Your Word, Fill us with your spirit. Lead us. Guide us. Prepare us. Lord, for all that you've done, your grace and your mercy, we thank you. God, help us love you and love others in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, this morning we are looking at another psalm written by David himself. The last psalm we looked at was a psalm of worship. Magnify the Lord with me. This one has quite a different tone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Strong words penned by man after God's own heart. Strong words that many of us find quite familiar. Maybe we've heard it somewhere else. Maybe it applies in another situation. As we look at the text today, there are noted similarities between David's psalm and the words uttered by our Christ on the cross. There are quite a few distinct similarities that we will dive into specifically. So in comparison of Psalm 22, we can look at Matthew 27, and we have several scriptures that go hand in hand. Looking at the first one, Psalm 22.18, on the next slide we'll see that it says, They divided my garments among them, and cast, and for my clothes they cast lots. What do we see in Matthew 27, verse 35? And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Looking at our next pair of verses, Psalm 22.7 reads, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. In Matthew 27, 39, and those who passed by derided at him, wagging their heads. We see another similarity. Psalm 22, verse 8. This reads, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Matthew 27, 43, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires. And then we see in Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Coming off Easter season, these words may be too familiar. Should give us chills. In Matthew 27, 46, it reads, 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lema Shabbatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know moments later, Jesus will utter his last words and die upon the cross. So, before we dive into why ask the question, I want to define a term. Forsaken. And I've got it up on the screen for you if you want to write it down. But forsaken just means, in simple terms, abandoned. My God, my God, why have you abandoned? Did God really abandon Christ? Yes. We can look at Isaiah chapter 53. We'll have it on the screen for you so you can follow along. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment He was taken away. And as far as His generation who considered that He was cut off, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We see all the way back in Isaiah the purpose of Christ's suffering on the cross. Looking at Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a difficult question. From the view of David, we know he's a man after God's own heart. He's on the run trying just to save his life. He's already been anointed the next king while there's a king still sitting on the throne of Israel. That king Saul is actively seeking to kill him. David for many years ran and ran just to save his own life. In the lows of lows, when everybody's turned against him, he cries aloud an honest question. Why have you forsaken me? I can't blame David. If everybody was against me, I would feel the same way. That's only human. If we feel the world is turned on us, our friends, our family, our co-workers, our church members, it's quite easy to say, God, why did you leave me? But when applied to Christ, the same cannot be said. We're going to look at three reasons why Christ asked the question on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first reason, and we'll have it on the screen for you if you want to write it down. There was a real forsakenness that required real judgment. There was a real forsakenness that required real judgment. Now, wait a second, Kevin. (laughs) Why is there a real forsakenness on Christ? The man whom you claim to live a sinless, perfect life. Well, he did live a sinless, perfect life. But we know, Romans tells us, Romans, uh, let's see, 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does 6.23 tell us? For the wages of sin is what? Death. So there's a penalty and a judgment to be given. The second reason. Jesus' cry of why was not actually a question looking for an answer. It was a way of expressing the true and absolute horrors of the abandonment that he was expressing and feeling. There's many of us in life, we've probably been abandoned, whether it's by parents, by family, by a spouse, by a church. I don't want to discredit your abandonment. But not a single human on the face of the earth can ever, has ever, 
and will ever experience the type of abandonment that Christ experienced on the cross. We're talking about the Son of God. The one that was with God from the beginning. For the first time ever. Being abandoned by God the Father. What's interesting is Jesus knew why it was happening. So Kevin, if Jesus knew why it was happening, then why would He even say it? Well, we have the fulfillment of Scripture. So that's a good requirement. But we can't forget Jesus is also still human. Jesus felt all the same temptations that we felt. All the same pains we felt. He wasn't superficial in the fact that he felt nothing. He had the same humanly body as us. John 18.4 reads, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Did you catch it? I'll read it again. John 18.4 Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, don't miss it, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, Whom do you seek? Christ didn't go into this blindly. He knew it was about to take place. And yet He still pushed forward. He knew the suffering He would have to endure. Exactly why in the Garden of Gethsemane He was sweating blood in agony and anguish. He knew the task before Him. Did he turn away and run? No. Did angels come to his side? No. He fulfilled the will of the Father. He willingly agreed to do what had to be done. The words of Jesus' cry are also a pure reflex on the part of Jesus. Jesus was such and so tied together with Scripture that in His worst moment of His life, He quotes it. There's a hundred things He could have said. A million things He could have said. But facing the pain and the agony on the cross, Jesus quotes Scripture. Why? Because it's such an innate part of Him. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. I can tell you that if I get burnt, if I get hurt, face an injury, I'm not quoting Scripture. I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't do it. Not in the worst moment of my life. Losing the kid, I'm not going to be quoting Scripture. Don't look at me for that. Bad example. But what do we see Jesus do? 
Exactly that. Now, it's an interesting piece of Scripture. It's not praise God. But it's Scripture nonetheless. John chapter 14, verse 10 does something quite interesting. Those of you who are in our uh, Wednesday night study of John, this will be familiar, so I won't elaborate too long. You guys know that I can. But it reads, the second half of John 14.10, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His work. Christ's oneness, His deity, His deep connection with Scripture all leads to Him saying this. It's not out of distress of anger towards the Father. Fulfilling the will of the Father. And the last point, Jesus' life was the psalm. The psalm was his life. As horrible as those moments on the cross were, it was Scripture fulfilled. Think about that. The pain, the agony, the terribleness, the passion of the Christ, difficult movie to watch, may still not even come close to depicting what Christ went through. Pastor Mark last week described the open wounds across his back. And yet, in the worst moment in the history of this world, it was Scripture fulfilled. It was nothing different, nothing less, It was exactly that. It was Scripture fulfilled. So Kevin, why the title Beauty and Suffering? Well, because it doesn't end at the death on the cross. Praise God. We just celebrated it last weekend. Shouldn't be the only time we celebrate it. Easter's all year round. Celebrate the risen Savior. There is hope. Psalm 22 is just not a complete lament. If you look in Psalm 22, and I believe it's verse 22, we have a change in mood. We go from a section starting off with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To now all of a sudden, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Hold the phone a second. We just went through a tremendous struggle, a tremendous deep grief, and all of a sudden, we just hop right back into praising Him. Yes! David didn't know what was to come. David didn't know the complete fulfillment of Scripture. What did he know? That his God, that our God, would always be there. And he would always prevail. I want you to look at Psalm 22, verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. 
That's a lot of words to say it wasn't for nothing. There is a purpose. There is a reason. You may be going through pain, agony, suffering, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, struggles with a marriage, struggles with friends or family. It's all for nothing. There is a will of God. It is difficult for us to understand it, but there is beauty in suffering. Christ's suffering on the cross led to His death. What do we know that happened three days later? He rose from the dead. And now we can have that hope of eternity because of Christ and His sacrifice. Understanding the realities of being a Christian is sometimes difficult. The reality is Christ deeply struggled on the cross. the Father did abandon Him on the cross. Christ was bearing the weight of the sins of the world. God could have nothing to do with that. Nothing. Our human brains can't function that type, can't function and can't imagine that type of abandonment. I'm sorry, but you can't. Think of the worst possible abandonment Christ was still worse. Something that he'd known for eternity, something else that we cannot fathom, was all of a sudden gone. But he still carried through. And there's where that beauty and suffering lies. Is that you have an opportunity to place hope and your trust in Christ because of what He suffered and died for, that we may spend eternity with Him in heaven. Now during this Easter season, it's pretty easy to let that kind of phrase accept Christ for what He's done. He's risen. He's defeated death. We can have hope in Him. It's pretty easy with the bombardment of that, whether it's on our social media feeds, whether it's Bible studies focused on the Easter story, whether it's our sermons that are leading up to it and still going on after the Easter Sunday, to kind of be like, yeah, I get it. But do you? I heard a story by Pastor Vody Bauckham, and I think it applies pretty well to this type of situation in which we may be even fronted with our own kind of false belief in Christ just from the bombardment and the nuance of continually telling us. There's a father who took a son out to a strawberry field. Father told the son, hey, pick a strawberry. Taste it. Son fell instantly in love. Wanted more. Well, what happens to strawberries over time? Well, they get picked by other people, then machines start doing it, then they start getting processed, then people figure out how to make stuff taste like strawberry, then we all of a sudden we have strawberry slush that isn't strawberry at all. And the son still wants that strawberry, so he gets hooked on that strawberry slush. Well, the father and the son go walking through the field again. The son picks a strawberry, eats it. 
hates it. It's disgusting. The real thing hates. Why? Because of everything else that was processed, that was fake, that was presented before him, seemed so much better that he hated the real thing. Well, how would you break that cycle? You take away the strawberry slush and you take them to the field day after day after day after day after day. If you've let yourself get hooked on the strawberry slush, you can stop. Pick this up. Go to him day after day after day after day. You will find that you will fall back in love with the real thing. So long as you make the choice. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in your house to worship you. God, there is such an immense beauty in the suffering that Christ faced on the cross. God, all that was done so that we may have the opportunity as sinful beings to spend eternity with you. That's the greatest gift ever. There's no denying that. But God, in that, there are so many things that could put on a front that are fake, that aren't the real thing. Whether it's Christianity promised in good health. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's status. It's so easy to get hooked on what's fake. We forget what the real thing is like. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to turn back to you, the real you, that you would open their hearts and their minds to see that this morning. God, now more than ever, it's so easy to be distracted, so easy to fall into the pit of believing those false things that we can forget what the real you is like and having that real relationship with you. But the amazing part is, we still have that opportunity. So whether you've never actually tasted the real Christ, the real thing, or maybe you have and you've gotten hooked on the false Jesus, take this time, examine your heart, cry out to God. Ask Him to forgive you. He will. God, thank You for giving us this opportunity the ability to follow you, to place our hope in you. 
Nothing of this world can we place our hope in greater than what we can place our hope in with you. God, help us love you and love others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.